This is Mornings with Simi on 980 CKNW. Ipsos has done a poll exclusively for Global about how Canadians are feeling with the potential election, a federal election on the horizon. How important is it that the government at least have a plan to balance the books? And how are feeling people feeling about taxes? Well, Daryl Bricker, the CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, is joining us now to talk more about this. Daryl, thanks so much for being with us. Well, thanks for having me on, Joe. Uh, Let's start with uh, people looking at uh, the potential for an election and where we are with spending. We know that the spending has been uh, pretty uh, out there when we talk about COVID-19 spending. That's no surprise. How are people feeling about getting back to some form of balanced budgets? Uh, Strongly interested in it. So their their attitude about uh, public spending at the moment is necessary, uh, but not continuous. In other words, they see it as something that uh, in an emergency needs to be done, like spending, uh, I guess, uh, a rainy day fund in your in your in your household budget. But you want to get back to uh, more normal uh, spending patterns in the future and uh, aren't looking at uh, what's going on right now as a reason to really ramp up spending beyond dealing with this current situation. Uh, do you get the impression from people that were questioned in this poll, is there more kind of forgiveness or people okay with if the government does have to run a deficit with doing that? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, there's a view that this is a, these are times like no other and that, uh, that we need to spend whatever resources that we can in order to make sure people are able to find their way through, uh, uh, through this pandemic. But after that, there's a strong belief that the government needs to ratchet things back and get our spending back to more normal patterns. Uh, there's been a lot of talk of a universal basic income uh, during this pandemic and the idea of what or bringing one in. Uh, you asked people about that. I found it interesting that uh, where there is support, but uh, there might not be as much support on how do you pay for it? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what you find on programs like this, where people say, okay, it's an interesting idea. Tell me how it works. How, how are you going to pay for it? Uh, and universal basic income is one of those issues that when you get past the the top line aspects of it, which is the you know the idea that uh, you should never be left in a situation in which you become destitute, uh, seems like a great idea. That then it comes down to okay, well, what are the circumstances of of getting a universal basic income? Are you really telling me that nobody has to work in order to um, be eligible for this? Uh, and, and that we actually can afford to do this. It's, it's a bit of a jarring concept once you get past that basic idea that really, you know, uh, is, is, uh, is focused on compassion. Once you get past that, there's a lot of questions that the public has about how this would work. Uh, but it seems like people are saying, even if it did come and we uh, were, were reason, uh, realistically and seriously considering this, uh, fine, but it doesn't seem like there's uh, a majority of people uh, that would want their taxes to go up to pay for it. No, and and this is the same thing that you'll see in a number of these things, which is, yeah, great, increase taxes, but not on me. <laughs> um, you know, make these changes, but make sure they don't affect me in a negative way. So there's a lot of debate that has to take place after these, these top-line concepts are introduced where you say, hey, maybe we should have something out there, for example, like 
a new child care program. And the public says, well, you know, child care, that's a good thing. How would it work? What is it going to cost me? Why do some people are, why will some people be eligible for it while other people won't maybe? Uh, why is it that I had to raise my kids without government support and now you're expecting me to pay for somebody else's kids? So there's, there's a lot of complexity in these issues that at the top line level, uh, it seems like it might be a bit of a green light, but when you actually uh, dive down into it, there's a lot of questions. Uh, we haven't seen a federal budget in a record amount of time. It's the longest we've ever gone without having one. Uh, how are people feeling then about uh, getting this federal budget and what they'd like to see in it? Well, what? Yeah, the, absolutely. They're they're looking forward to uh, to getting a budget. But uh, what they really would like to see it in is, is I, I would say, more of a short term focus on dealing with the specific issues that are related to a pandemic. Um, they, they recognize that the, there's some. Um, uh, some features uh, that uh, we may have to consider, for example, like uh, reducing taxes for the middle uh, to low income people, a very popular idea, maybe even increasing taxes on uh, some of the wealthier people may be a good idea. But the real focus, I would say, at the moment is doing things to help people get through this pandemic. Uh, which makes sense, given uh, we're dealing with surging numbers in a lot of provinces, uh, the variants, so we're not doing all that well compared to some other countries when it comes to vaccine rollout. So I, I think that would make sense that in the short term, people are still focused on getting to the other side of this thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Joe, when, I t- when people talk about tomorrow these days, they're literally talking about Tuesday. And they want to know what it is that uh, that they can be able to do in their lives, whether or not they're able, going to be able to get through financially till Tuesday. Um, and, uh, you know, so thinking five years down the road is not where their heads are. So uh, the real focus, if the government is on public opinion right now or, or speaking to public opinion right now, would be that short-term focus rather than talking about, you know, long-term plans to make, you know, CAD in a better place for the next generation or whatever. It's really right now. Uh, is it a shift, do you think, when looking at, uh, which is kind of a, a common thread, like you said, reducing taxes for middle to low income Canadians uh, polled quite high, 43%, increasing taxes on the wealthiest at 38%. Did you get down to details on what people would actually, uh, what that would look like or what people would like to see that look like? How do you define the wealthiest and, and what would the increase in tax look like? Uh, we didn't get out on this in this particular poll, but um, we have asked a lot of questions about these issues in the past. And everybody thinks in Canada that they're a member of the middle class. So the the, the, the true rich, they don't see themselves as that. So when we talk about the 1%, even the 1% doesn't necessarily see itself as, uh, you know, in the top category of income. So when you start defining what that wealthy is, that's when it starts to get interesting. And what about differences in the provinces as far as uh, what uh, different provinces want? In Is there industry support uh, in some and then, say, different? Uh, we do tend to see uh, the priorities being different, say, from the western provinces uh, as we head across the country. Yeah, for example, uh, supporting uh, supporting industries uh, more popular, particularly in places like Alberta, Manitoba, and Saskatchewan. But the really interesting thing for me in all of this, Joe, is the, is the unanimity, of, unanimity of sense. Uh, that the public has that uh, um, we're in a a short-term emergency situation and all of the focus needs to be on that. So the interesting thing for me is even, you know, uh, things that uh, the Liberal Party was talking about during its convention this this weekend, a new national child care system. Well, that's like way down the middle of the list that we were asking. It's not that people don't, you know, like the idea of child care. It's just like right now what they really want to focus on is 
getting themselves through the uh, through this pandemic, particularly in terms of being able to maintain um, their their financial situations and programs and new investments and that kind of thing to make the world better in the future. Not really on the list. All right. Interesting findings. Uh, Daryl, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Joe. That's Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, taking a look at what Canadians are looking for uh, as the budget uh, in a budget and with a federal election uh, looming in the distance. Uh, Those findings uh, conducted April 7th to the 9th on behalf, again, of Global News, uh, a sample of 101 Canadians over the age of 18. This is Mornings with Simi. As you've been hearing, the throne speech is being delivered later today. You'll hear part of that here on CKNW at 2 p.m. The Surrey Board of Trade would like to see tax reform be a big part of what's going to be happening, uh, released in the throne speech, and what's going to happen next as businesses really fight to stay afloat and look to getting through this pandemic. Anita Huberman joins me on the line now, the CEO of the Surrey Board of Trade. Thank you so much for being with us. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. What would businesses like to see when we talk tax reform? What specifically do you think needs to change? Well, first of all, there needs to be a complete review and examination of all of the taxes that have been in place and introduced, um, especially during the pandemic and before the pandemic. There's been so many added costs. Uh, to a business's bottom line and to ensure proper economic uh, recovery in today's throne speech. And we also delivered formally uh, in our pre-budget consultation to the BC government that uh, we wanted a review of the BC tax system because of increased bottom line costs. And increased bottom line costs because of the pandemic? Not only because of the pandemic, but because of increased taxation. You take a look at the employer health tax. Uh, You take a look at uh, increased costs related to the carbon tax, uh, vacancy tax, um, cost of living. And it's not only related to the BC tax system that is a burden for a business's bottom line. Uh, Local governments, they're increasing their taxes. Businesses are going to face uh, increased tax costs when they get their tax bill uh, later this year. And so from all angles, businesses are facing increased costs. And I think Uh, The B.C. government has a role to review the B.C. tax system, get consultation uh, from the private sector, mobilize private capital to rebuild our economy, not just through public dollars, uh, but through innovative methods. Uh, Do you think there's a bit of a disconnect then when we hear from government to all that is being done to help businesses and that they are there to make sure businesses will get through to the other side uh, when that's kind of the public message, but not a lot is talked about what you just mentioned, all levels of government and the increased taxation? Well, certainly during the pandemic, um, both the provincial and federal government have had to Uh, take uh, significant uh, spending as it relates to their budget, unprecedented spending. And uh, both governments are going to have to walk a fiscal tightrope between the need to reduce their debt and deficits and support economic growth. Certainly British Columbia uh, is uh, way ahead uh, in terms of our economic growth uh, in comparison to other provinces and territories in Canada. But 
we need to focus on partnering with the private sector, uh, looking at those costs uh, that, like taxation, uh, that could be modified and but still uh, support uh, fiscal coffers related to the provincial government. Is it as simple? Well, not simple, but are there some things, I guess, that would appear to be uh, easier to fix? When we talk about uh, things that have changed even in the pandemic, looking at restaurants and the ability to allow restaurants to have patios and to go into uh, the the streets uh, to take parking spaces if they need to, uh, to expand those patios to try and stay afloat. Uh, Are there things like that that can also be done in that uh, if we talk about overhauling the taxation system, it seems like such a huge task, but are are there smaller things... uh, all other smaller things as well that can be done that would have an immediate impact for businesses? Well, the hardest hit industries during the pandemic are the restaurant hospitality sector, um, tourism, uh, and the like. And really, uh, you know, if there was, uh, you know, local government partnership related to property tax relaxation, uh, whether there was partnerships with landlords, not every restaurant has the ability to have a patio. Uh, but uh, in safe ways, if there was ways to expand safely uh, their ability to bring in more people and uh, be able to Uh, make the money that they need to make. Uh, There's certainly ways to do that, but local government also needs to be part of uh, the ingredients in the overall recipe to support those types of businesses. Uh, On the provincial level, we've been talking a fair bit about the speculation and vacancy tax and specifically about taxing airspace. Uh, I know you've talked as well about the split assessment taxation system. Uh, Would that be a, a big help to businesses at this point if they could bring that in quickly somehow? It would be positive uh, if the BC government implemented a split assessment tax system that created a a new commercial subclass to alleviate pressure on those businesses affected that operate in a building with the airspace above them zoned as residential. It doesn't affect all businesses, but it does affect some. And it will help uh, businesses. Uh, Certainly, every little bit helps in order to ensure we have that economic recovery pathway. Uh, Would it be enough or at least uh, a bit of help? Uh, I know there's been a call for if they're not going to change the taxation of airspace, maybe at least defer it for another year, maybe another two years to give businesses a bit of of a break. Because if it does go ahead this year, uh, for a lot of businesses, that's that's an additional tax bill of thousands of dollars. Well, certainly one methodology would be to defer it, but during that deferral of one year, they should be reviewing what makes sense, what doesn't, how it can be modified, and they need to ensure that they have uh, full consultation with the private sector of those businesses that are affected. Uh, you know, uh, it, you know, some businesses, uh, especially during this recent health and safety order, are, are really compromised in terms of their ability to make money or to even make it in the long term. Uh, with the pre-budget consultation that the Surrey Board of Trade took part in, are you confident at all there will be some relief or that your concerns have been listened to and they will be addressed? I I consider some aspects will. I I certainly, we participate every single year in that pre-budget consultation uh, in in the fall, but uh, 
you know, there was a variety of asks from the Surrey Board of Trade. One of them was a, a rehaul of the, or at least a review of the BC tax system. We're asking the same of the Canadian government as well, um, and a simplification of the Canadian tax system. But uh, we will see. I mean, the throne speech today, the whole purpose of it is to set out government's agenda uh, for their support to individuals and businesses. So uh, let's see what happens. All right. We will see what happens uh, for sure. Anita Hubberman, always great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Anita Hubberman is the CEO of the Surrey Board of Trade. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, as you've been hearing in the news, a COVID-19 vaccination campaign kicking off in Whistler today for adults who live and work there. We heard earlier from Vancouver Coastal Health, Dr. Penny Ballum, calling that a major hotspot. And that's why priority is given there. People uh, seem very pleased that the vaccine is making its way. I'm really, really excited for the mass vaccination. Hopefully we'll get like back up and running for the uh, for the biking in the summer. Should be sweet. I'm very excited for it. Yeah, of course. Can't wait for things to get back to normal. This is great. There have been more than 1,500 cases in that community from the start of the year until April 5th. Well, joining us now is the mayor of Whistler, Jack Crompton. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. It's a pleasure. Good to be on. Uh, this is something I know that you had been asking for, and I just played a couple of comments from a couple of residents there. How are people feeling about this? I think relieved there this has been really tough and there is uh you know real concern about the number of cases and and the fact that the p1 variant is here and so uh, a measure of relief and looking forward to getting it done how do we not know where the the p1 variant came from or how the p1 variant made its way to whistler I do not know the answer to that. I think that probably that is work that is ongoing and, and when they understand it, they'll share it with us. But at this point, we don't have a sense of where it came from. Uh, I'm sure you've seen or heard of uh, the Guardian article. Uh, it was uh, big news in the UK, uh, the, the news site, talking about uh, Whistler uh, and calling it, saying that this is, uh, f- calls it Canada's most famous ski resort, but then also goes on to say that it's really uh, the biggest number uh, case count of this highly inve- infectious uh, strain of the virus. Uh, how do you feel uh, about seeing Whistler in international news headlines like that? It's never something I want to see in in international headlines, but really that is not our primary concern right now. Our primary concern is the people, the families. Uh, There's there's houses in this community who have been dealing with isolations for six, eight, ten weeks at a time where, you know, one person gets it and then everyone isolates and waits for them to get through it and, and it just cycles through homes. It's been incredibly difficult on the lives of the frontline workers in this community and in every community. So really our minds and our our time and our energy is with those people. Um, And we'll have lots of opportunity to correct (laughs) and, and, and make the case for Whistler as far as asking people to visit in the future. But right now our goal is to get to the other side of COVID and, and do everything in our power to ensure that people are taken care of.
And how do you explain to people or, or make sure that the message does get out that this isn't just a case of people who haven't been following rules or who have been behaving poorly, uh, that it is also because we're talking about uh, places, like you said, households, uh, places with roommates, uh, people who are working in different scenarios. How do you uh, kind of get that message out there so people aren't thinking that this is uh, people being uh, praised for bad behavior? Yeah, I think there's a misunderstanding of, of who a Whistlerite is. The vast majority of us are frontline hospitality workers and small business owners. And uh, we're people who have been exposed as a result of uh, many people coming through our community and the impact has been significant. Yes, like everywhere, there is a few people who have uh, done the wrong thing and uh, are paying the consequences. But by and large, this is the virus running through homes, running through uh, people's lives as a result of, of how we are housed. And so um, I think it's important to get that message out. That this isn't about, you know, a whole bunch of people doing the wrong thing, but it's about the, it's about the way our community is housed and, and the, the way that we are and the involvement we have in the tourism business. Are you concerned at all about uh, people will get this vaccine? I'm sure there'll be a, a huge uptake in people wanting to get uh, their shot and doing it in the next couple of days. Uh, there's still, and there have been cases, I believe, in Whistler where people have been vaccinated, people working in hospitality, and have still passed the virus on to others. Are you concerned at all that people are going to get this first shot and let their guard down even more in some cases, and that there could still be outbreaks and that could happen next? That's, that's our main message. We'll be walking the line as people wait to get their vaccines to explain that this is not something that you gain um, protection immediately. You need to keep your guard up and you need to continue to take those actions that we've learned since the beginning of, of COVID. And I think that's a struggle that every community has. I mean, we need to get that into everyone's mind, this idea that just because you have a vaccine doesn't mean you can walk out of the vaccination center and you're immune immediately. We need to do everything we can to help people understand that they need to keep their guard up. Uh, do you think there should be tougher restrictions in the meantime to make sure that Whistler gets a handle on this? When Whistler Blackcomb was closed, uh, that really stopped visitation to our community in any, in any measure. So I think that uh, those restrictions have been put in place just by the very nature of the closure of the ski hill. And is it your understanding then, as we've heard from the health authority, so it's people, adults 18 uh, to 54, I believe, who uh, live in Whistler or work in Whistler, uh, if they live, say, in Pemberton or Squamish and work there. Are, are, you, are you confident in the, the process that's in place to make sure uh, the people who need it and who are eligible are the ones who will get this? Yeah, we're working very closely with, with Vancouver Coastal Health, and I'm confident that that outcome will be achieved. What would happen if somebody with a second property in Whistler showed up to get the vaccine? They would be, um, they, they would not receive vaccination. This is very much focused on workers and permanent residents uh, of Whistler. Uh, and you mentioned as well that the shutting of the resort uh, has stopped people from coming, uh, which uh, obviously was uh, the goal of that. Uh, how have things been as far as the, the shutting of the resort and the impact that that's had on both residents and, and people working and living in your area? It's been 
extremely difficult. Obviously, it's one thing to be struggling with uh, COVID. It's another thing to not have work. And a lot of the protective factors that have been um, pushed into community and society and in workplaces and uh, that kind of thing aren't available when you no longer have work. And so uh, it's been challenging in our community to, to see both uh, work go away, but then also COVID take run its course in our community in the way it has. It's been it's been difficult. All right, uh, Mayor Crompton. We'll talk again. Hopefully, uh, we'll be on a on a more positive note and have some good news uh, to share coming up uh, next time. But thanks so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure, Jill. Thanks for your interest in our town. All right, that is Jack Crompton, the mayor of Whistler. And again, as you've been hearing uh, in the news, the vaccination clinics starting today, uh, that's for people who have a primary residence in Whistler or who work in Whistler, that's adults 18 to 54 who have not yet been vaccinated. They will be able to get their vaccine starting today. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, MLA Trevor Halford in Surrey White Rock, also the official opposition critic for mental health and addictions, has written an opinion piece calling for more investments into youth mental health supports. And Trevor Halford joins me on the line now to talk a bit more about this. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. What would you like to see as far as supporting young people who are really struggling uh, during this pandemic? Yeah, a lot more than what we're seeing today. And and I think that uh, even before the pandemic, you know, we were definitely seeing a rise in the number of cases of, of youth that needed uh, mental health support. And, you know, through the pandemic, that has increased, you know, tenfold. And, you know, what I'm very worried about is that once we get through this pandemic, and I think we're all hopefully seeing a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel here, we are going to have a tsunami of our youth that are going to need support. And uh, it, the support is just not there right now. And that's something that I think we need to address Today, uh, it should have been addressed yesterday, but we need to make sure that we're all stepping up to, uh, to get the things done for our youth. Uh, so what specifically do you think could be brought in uh, that would help youth that are struggling? Yeah, you know what, for, for me, we need to make this really simple. And uh, there, there's two things. One is I think that uh, we need more resources and specifically we need more counselors and we need more psychiatrists. And the second thing is, is that we need to make it accessible. And when I say accessible, I, I want to focus on the affordability because too often, parents are having to make choices about whether or not they have groceries in their fridge, whether they're paying their rent or their mortgage, or whether or not they're able to get their child the help that they need, or even them themselves the help that they need. And I, I think that is uh, where we are this day and age. We've got to address that, and we need to address it now. No parent should be forced to make those choices. We need to make mental health support affordable for all British Columbians. Uh, do you see it as something then that's, uh, say, outside of the school system, or is it something that could be integrated more into the school system, as well as kind of making it so it's not a big deal if you need to see a counsellor or if you need to get an assessment or there's something up that you need to be looked, to have it looked at? Yeah, you know what, that's, that's a great point. Because one of the problems that we run into, and even, like, I, I ran into it as a, I'm not, young but I'm, I hope I'm youngish but uh, you know I think one of the problems is is that uh, is talking about mental health I didn't have a lot of conversations about mental health growing up um, and I you know no disservice to my parents or anything like that I think that it was it wasn't a lot of conversations in a lot of households I think that's changed now and I think when we look at things we have to make sure that we're breaking the stigma down 
And I, I would rather somebody reach out and get help and feel supported than want to reach out and feel that that support's not there. And too often, I think that that's one of the big fears. And I think it's one of the fears that parents have is that, you know, if they reach out and get help, is that help going to be consistent? And are they able to provide that help? And I, I think we all need to make sure that we're taking that burden away. And I think that's something that this premier needs to address and he needs to address it immediately. Uh, immediately, or would you like to see something brought in in the budget? Well, we've got the throne speech today, so today's a great opportunity for him to do that. And, you know, I think that this is a problem that existed before the pandemic, and the pandemic has definitely exasperated it. But we need to do a much better job. And as a, as a dad of three, I can tell you that my wife and I, you know, we really, really want to make sure that the youth in our community, the youth across the province are getting the support they need. And right now, it is clearly not there. You're looking at, you know, parents, whether or not they're getting their kids into uh, psych assessments, counseling services. A lot of them are facing two to three to four month wait times to get in and get those services. Head health can't wait. Uh, you know, if, if your child or if yourself are struggling with mental health, you should not wait. You need that support in real time. Um, you know, I, I tell the story is that, you know, my son fell off his bike and he broke his wrist. Now, we went to the hospital. He got x-rayed. He was in rehab, uh, I think, the following day, and, you know, he was, he was on his way, and he was consistently going back in and getting his wrist evaluated, getting it, you know, getting it tested for about six to eight weeks. We need to make mental health that same type of priority. We, we really do. It, it is that essential, and it's that important to me. What do you think is the barrier at this point? Is it a lack of psychiatrists or, or counselors to, to address this? Or what is it that you think that, like you said, if you break your arm, you're going to get it dealt with right away? What is causing that wait time? I, it, it's that. So it is definitely a lack of counseling and psychiatric services. Uh, we, we, we just don't have enough. And the second thing is, is, is money. And it, it all comes down to money. But we need to make sure that we're actually resourcing this sector properly. And that means that we're paying for more psychologists and more counselors. And, you know, I think when this government is, is trying to make its priorities for British Columbians, um, mental health can't wait any longer. You know, we've got a ministry of mental health and addictions that I applauded when it was brought in because it was standalone ministry. And I think the premier was right to, right to do that. Where the mistake was made is that this is a ministry that has a budget actually lower than the premier's office. And I think, you know, this, this government needs to step up and show British Columbians that it is serious about mental health. And they have failed to do that so far. All right. So, well, Trevor, we'll wait and see if it is addressed in the throne speech and the upcoming budget. But thanks so much for writing this and for coming on the program to talk more about it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. That is Trevor Halford, BC MLA for Surrey White Rock, also the uh, critic for the Ministry of uh, the official opposition critic for the Mental Health and Addictions Ministry.